Timothy chapter 1 and verses 18 to 20 is where we will be this evening. And Lord willing, we'll just finish off chapter 1 of our study through the book of 1 Timothy. And if you remember the last time we left it off, we spoke about a good example to Timothy and, and really Paul was using his, uh, his story, his narrative as far as who he was and who he is to be able to, to help Timothy have a positive or, or a, a good example to follow. And, um, and certainly Paul uh, in his transformation in, in how God brought him from who he was as a persecutor of the church to who he is here in writing to Timothy, it certainly was the grace of God, right, that, that transformed uh, this persecutor to this uh, propagator um, in, in Paul. And so he's going to continue this, and, and really, as we think about verses 18 to 20, he's going to share some negatives, and he's going to reinforce some things about Timothy's calling, about what it was in, uh, as, a, as a Christian, uh, some things that... that are needful. And here in verse 18, if you just uh, if you read along with me, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which, which some, having put away concerning faith, notice this, have made shipwreck. And then interestingly, in verse 20, he names them of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless. Father in heaven, thank you again for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the ability that we have to be able to open your word freely this evening. Lord, we trust in, Lord, the fact that we have your your infallible word, Lord, tonight, purely preserved for us. And Father, we, we come asking, Lord, that you would just teach us as we, we study through this book, even in this portion of, uh, of the time that we have, and ask that you would please just help us, Lord, to, Lord, to be challenged tonight about uh, those things that are, are, are negative but are necessary as far as our, our journey and our time here on earth for you. And so I pray that you'd help us tonight in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. And so again, following up from Paul's personal testimony and the encouragement he set uh, Timothy, we see Paul deal with other characters that were really at the opposite end of that spectrum. He's going to name them in verse 20. And, and really, it's a reminder to us that in ascending to the, to the mountaintop of praise to God, we must also then descend to the realities of the warfare and challenges in front of us. Because really what it was, the, the previous verses, was really an explosion of, of praise, of what God has done, of, of the change in, in Paul's life, and how, how even though Paul was the chiefest of sinners, that God in His, in his power, in his, in his grace, was able to transform even the worst, to, to be someone that could be used greatly for his, uh, for his ministry, for his work. And, and really what it was showing Timothy was, was no matter what he was going through, God is able. And God is able to, to transform even those that we see 
as, as the worst of our enemies. And yet, in all of that praise, really they had to come down to the mountaintop and, and, and be in reality here what they were going through, what he was going through. And so Paul is about to give Timothy the, the practicalities of, of the negative he is facing. And, and Jesus and his disciples, they often had to endure that as also. You know, many times, they, as we even read this morning, uh, they, they had times where, where Jesus was praying alone and they were with them. Uh, oftentimes at the mountaintop, the Lord Jesus did that. And wouldn't that have been an amazing thing to just behold? And imagine there thinking, you're watching and you're listening to the, to the Son of God, your Savior, uh, praying, and what a mountaintop experience that must have been. But then only to be confronted with the realities of humanity. And after that, after that, that mountaintop experience, then you just face the realities and the, uh, of the Christian life, of the, of the things that we have to endure here on this earth. And, and no doubt many of us would attest to that many times. We've had uh, victorious times in our Christian life where we've been on the mountaintop, where we've had some fits of praise, and we've just been excited about all that God is doing only to face Monday and a grind of our daily lives and where we must contest and contend with this flesh and the world and the devil and go through all of that muck and mire of life. And really that's what Paul was trying to bring Timothy to, to this abrupt reality and realization that whilst there's things to praise God about, there's still the work to do. There's still this thing of the reality that he was facing. And, and what we're going to see here is, is a, a couple of things that are uh, really, if you think about it, are quite negative. We're going to see warfare. You know, there's really nothing positive about warfare. There's no glory in war. It always results in, 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 in battles, and, and it's, it's often bloody. It often, often renders there to be victims in the warfare. And yet we understand, as far as the Christian life, we don't glory in the warfare. It's just necessary. You know, people fight wars because they're necessary. It, necessi it necessitates because of a situation that, that we face. And we understand because of the fall, there is this warfare between God's righteousness and all of His glory and, and those who want to stop it and hinder it and, and cause it to be, uh, to be stopped. And there's that very real warfare. We're going to see that here in a little while. We're going to see a challenge given to, to Timothy about holding on to the faith. Why? Because there's some who have not held on to the faith. And the reality of, of that is this, that, that even as we travel through the Christian life, there will be those that that's for, for whatever reason, they just fall away. They don't hold on to the faith. And that really, that's a negative, isn't it? And then he gives some bad examples here of these two men, um, Alexander and Hymenaeus, who, who he names to warn the church about their false teaching. And so he's going to start, he's going to, he starts really with these positives about God working, and then he wants to bring Timothy to the reality of his task. And can I just remind you that, that whilst we are, we have times, and, and I'm praying that this week will be one of them, 
that we get something from the Lord that because of the preaching, because of our fellowship together, because we have a sanctuary where we can be around other Christians, where we can rub shoulders a little bit and, and rejoice and be joyful about all that God is doing in our lives, that we're always going to face the next day. And the reality of those things that we must contend with. And so here it is. We're going to see a couple of things as we think about the what, what Timothy was charged to do. See, Paul was going to lay out a charge for Timothy and name certain individuals who had erred. And in this, in this Paul is giving really a, a negative or a bad example to contrast from his own in order to jar Timothy's reality back to the practical need at hand. So in laying out the charge, he also gave faces to those who would become opponents in the very real battle for truth. And so firstly, I want you to note in verse 18, Timothy's charge for warfare. We see Timothy's charge for warfare. Look at verse 18 again. This charge, I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war. War a good warfare. And, And Timothy's charge for warfare. Notice firstly, this charge. I commit unto thee, son Timothy. This was a charge, really, from a father to a son. Here, the the spiritual mentor in Paul was laying out a charge for his spiritual kin, his son in the faith, Timothy. And he says it there, uh, here I charge thee. He says, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. And that word commit, it it literally is to send to or upon, to, to give in trust. He's basically saying, your turn. I fight, but you fight. And he's saying, I entrust this to you. This was Paul entrusting to Timothy a charge. And that's why even in the area of of discipleship, we often say we we ought to have a Timothy. If we are going to be like Paul, we need to be having a Timothy in our lives. And and really, we, we give that charge. We don't simply give them facts that they should know. We don't simply just... Just, just teach them things. No, no, we're giving them a charge. You know, when you disciple someone, what you're hoping to challenge them also is that they will do this also. That as you war, they will war, but then they will then pass this on too. There, there's, an inherent, uh, there's an inherent responsibility there that we commit. Right? And we, we, uh, we understand that we are to commit to faithful men also those things which we teach. And this was Paul entrusting to Timothy a charge. Uh, this was a charge given with firm tenderness, really referring back to verses 3 and 4, where, where already he said, I, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. When I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge that they, some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. So this charge of warfare has much to do with being entrusted with the truth and correcting the error and those things that had crept into the church. And so this was Paul entrusting to Timothy a charge. And I think about even our responsibility as we train up young people, as we disciple young people, as we teach them how how they are to live the Christian life here in this lifetime. And whilst they may have some very real uh, challenges that are different and unique, to this generation, the fact of the matter is in all of the background and overarching all of that is a spiritual warfare that they must also fight. 
And, and guys, listen, uh, to you who are the following generation, uh, we must, you must have the mentality that you, may not, you will not be passive or pacifist in the spiritual warfare. You must be active. You must be engaged. You must realize that one day, and very real soon, it will be your turn. And that was a charge given to Timothy. He's saying it's warfare. There's a battle at hand. And this was Paul entrusting to Timothy a charge. And note the second part of the verse there. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee. That's an interesting, interesting thought there. This, this, was a, this charge was one that was prophesied about Timothy. And whether it was given by another or Paul himself, really it's not made clear here. All right? This may be in reference to, to even uh, Timothy's calling, maybe through, the, through some preaching. Uh, this could be in reference to even uh, the charge given him uh, in the laying of the hands, it says there, in reference to Timothy's ordination. And I, I very uh, really remember the time when I was ordained right here in our auditorium and where it was Pastor Wayne Shemesh who gave me a charge that night. And, uh, and it's, it, there's a charge there that I often think about, that I often meditate on. And perhaps it was referring to that time when, when Timothy was laid hands upon. It was his ordination. Later on in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Neg- Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. So those ones who, who, who were men in the church, who were entrusted to lay hands and were leadership in the church. And there, there was that, that ordination time. And later on, he, he tries to stir them up with that. Stir up the gift that was given to thee by prophecy with the laying of the hands. And perhaps in exhorting the young minister, he, he was... He was reminded that he was not only entering a ministry, but in a a much more vivid way, also a battlefield. And and here he says that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Saying you've been challenged, Timothy. You've been charged so that you might war a good warfare. You know, no one enters a war to lose it. God never enlisted us so that we may become victims of the warfare. In fact, He's very made it clear, made it very clear to us we are more than conquerors in Christ. We we are to have a victor's mentality, not a victim. You know, sometimes we complain about the fact that there's there's all these pressures in the Christian life. But but you understand that that all those pressures and all that spiritual warfare. That it's part of the territory, and in fact, God has equipped you and called you to do that. And he's saying that thou by them, those things that were put in you, those things that were prophesied and, and taught you, those things that, that uh, were, were mentioned about you as far as your, your time of calling, that by, thou by them mightest war a good warfare. And really, this, was a, was a, this reminder was to stir up Timothy both by way of his enlistment, but also of his embattlements. This, he, he's saying there that, you know, there was never a time where this was not mentioned to you, Timothy. 
This was, this was very real. This, this reminder was to stir up Timothy. This warfare that Paul referred to really should be one of familiarity to the Christian. But it's unlike any other warfare. We, we noted some weeks ago the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't fight flesh and blood. In fact, it was to this church his church in Ephesus that he writes in Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And he's reminding Timothy, you're going to war, but you need to war a good warfare. This is unlike any battle. And understand this, guys. Understand this, church. Um, you know, in our, in, our, in our modern day living, when we say warfare, we're sort of just, we're so desensitized to it. We don't, we don't really understand the bloodiness of war. And yet we understand, the, the people here reading this in that context would have very much understood the costs of war. What it involved to be able to be successful in war. The discipline, the training, the, the, the commitment to be a, a soldier. Uh, it, it was a, a time where warfare was the norm, where, where warfare touched everyone. And, and so when he was telling Timothy that thou mightest war a good warfare, he had pictures in his mind, but this was also different. This was a spiritual war that he was to fight. This was to be a war fought on his knees. This was to be a war fought with the sword of the Spirit. This was to be a war that involved putting on your spiritual armor. And this was a war that he needed to fight. And it needed to be a fight that, that it was needed to war a good warfare. And in Ephesians, he's reminding him, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Although... It's interesting, Paul gives a very fleshy face to the battle. He's saying warfare, but then he refers to people. And here's what we get. This warfare, although we're going to mention here Alexander and Hymenaeus, this warfare was not directly with them. But the principalities that were subverting the work of the truth, the work of the gospel. And, and, you know, we're going we're gonna to encounter that. We're going to encounter very human faces to the, uh, th that subverts or battles against the gospel. For those of you who's ever gone to the mission field, you, you, there's been some very real faces of opposition against those that, that have, uh, those of you who've gone. Perhaps as you've gone actively to try to share the gospel, you've, You've been encountering very fleshy faces. But understand that although they're the ones standing in your way, the battle's not really with them. It's actually not the faces. It's not actually the flesh and blood. No, no, there's a higher power. There's a higher battle. It's against principalities and powers. And we need to be very prepared for that. And so these principalities, they were the ones subverting the work of the gospel. And even though they had some very 
fleshy faces to battle. Um, someone said this, Here the believer is cast in the role of a soldier who is ordered into battle. The weapons of this soldier, however, are not clever argumentation or inescapable logic. Things we might think best suited to debates with false teachers. The minister's weapons for this fight are the gospel and the godly concern for the spiritual condition of the opponent. And how many times, and again, we could use Paul as an example. How many times have there been some real fleshy faces of enemies or opponents to the gospel where, yours, where someone's spiritual concern and prayerful, uh, prayerful meditations and, and prayerful uh, prayerful, uh, prayerful supplications have made the difference. How hardened hearts have been broken down. And often it's easy for us to get mad and get frustrated when we're not seeing the bigger picture. The spiritual warfare at hand. And the weapons that we have is the gospel and a godly concern. And he's, he's reminding them to how to, how to uh, Timothy to war a good warfare. Notice the nextly in verse 19. He says, holding faith and a good conscience. And then he contrasts that and says, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. And here we see not only uh, Timothy's charge for warfare, we see Timothy's contrasts for consideration. He's sharing a contrast here. He's saying, hold, holding the faith. But then there's some who have, who have put away concerning faith. And the thought here, firstly, in holding faith is there are some things we need to hold onto or cling to. Right, uh, specifically, we can look at this, this, uh, this wording. We can look at a couple of things. We can look at holding onto those things which are good. We can look at holding on to the traditions that we've been taught, holding on to eternal life. We can speak about holding on to sound words. We can talk about holding a profession of faith in Christ. We can talk about holding, faith, uh, holding on to those things which we've received and heard. We can talk about holding on to those things which we already have. But here it, it's speaking about holding on to faith. In 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And so it, it, it goes through as, um, as we consider the, the whole context of the book that this is speaking about clinging on to the body of faith, the body of truth with, with which we have. And what I'm saying is in our day and age where many, many, they're not clinging to the faith. When many are departing from what we call the faith, the challenge for us is that we must hold fast through the challenges ahead and we must hold on to the faith. And certainly this was the battle that Timothy had. There were those who were departing from the faith. And notice he also says holding faith and then notice a good conscience. Now, now, we briefly studied that. Previously, he mentions that the end of the commandment is this. 
But here, a good conscience, your conscience is your internal. It's your self-knowledge. It's your judgment of right and wrong. And I believe also that in the context of our chapter, that it's having a good conscience here in regard to the declaration of the Word of God. You know, what happens with your conscience is, is this. When you, when you give yourself over to the truth of the Word of God, then your conscience is, is shaped and molded and formed by the Word of God. It's just aligned to it. Therefore, those things that we, we, we listen to and we might hear, and, and there's just something about it that's off. You know what that is? It's your conscience. It's those things that, that are warning you that there's something amiss here. And, and in this sense, the conscience, again, being nourished by the Word, really is a great partner for the Christian. We ought not blunt our conscience when it gives us warnings about strange other doctrines. And we need to be careful to go against the warnings that have been keenly programmed by God's Word. And so Paul's charge to Timothy included having a good conscience, holding on to that. You know, something is only good if it is working correctly. So let's take heed not to deaden or defile our conscience that way. But then the, the contrast to that is this. He's saying, hold, to, hold on to faith, hold on to good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith. So the contrast he's giving is this, but sadly there are some who've already put it away. They've already made themselves shipwreck. And the sense here is that there were those in the church of Ephesus who had not taken hold of the faith and not acted in good conscience. And because of that, they put away concerning the faith. It means this, that they had not been grounded and molded by the Word of God. They had not taken heed to those things that they've been taught. They've just been passive hearers when they should have been active hearers. They, they should have been those ones who uh, were, were like the, the church of Berea who, who, who wanted to search the Scriptures. They should have been the kind of, of Christians who, who, were, uh, who were clinging onto and holding onto with dear life those things that they knew to be true. And yet here we see that there were some of those who'd put away concerning faith. And the sense here is that there were those in the church of Ephesus who'd not taken hold of faith and not acted in good conscience. And the concern of the charge is that none would be made shipwreck. See this phrase here, the phrase put away, it simply means this, a strong rejection of. So it wasn't simply that they were just passive, no. They were strongly in rejection, strongly rejecting those things. It's the same sense in Matthew 5.31 where the Bible tells us, it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife. It's the same wording. Let him give her a writing of divorcement. And here it's the same sense as divorce, putting away. And what Paul was concerned about was this. Paul was concerned that there were those in the church really who had totally divorced themselves from the faith. And sadly, because of that, have shipwrecked themselves and potentially those around them. You see, this, this, this picture that he was giving was some have put away concerning faith, the truth, the body of, the truth, of truth, 
of which we need to hold dear to. And sadly, because of their departing from that and strong rejection of that, they've made shipwreck. And I think we understand what shipwreck is. We, uh, we, we don't often see that on our coasts. But, but you can, uh, for those who are keen scuba divers, you can see wreckages. Uh, you can see shipwrecks, those ships who had run aground, who, who should have been mighty vessels sailing, and yet they've run aground, they've been totally wrecked. They, they've been hindered from their purpose. They've been hindered from doing, uh, going further in their journey. And what I'm saying is this faith is speaking about the body of truth that was considered sound doctrine, but then because of those who had allowed fables and endless genealogies to become their focus, was made shipwreck. And shipwreck here is, is in this sense, is to be led astray. To be led astray. It's got the idea that someone had misnavigated and now they have run aground and have been stranded. And we, we understand the Word of God is a, is a lamp to our feet, a light unto our path. And when we don't follow diligently the Word of God, then what we're doing is we're misnavigating the course of our lives. And some have been made shipwreck. They've just, that guidance system that God has given in His Word has not been used. Or it's been used incorrectly and ignorantly. And as a result, there are those who've been made shipwreck. They've been misguided. They've been made stranded. And again, when one doesn't hold on to sound doctrine and have as one's compass questions that only produce more questions, then one is likely to run aground and miss the point that Scripture has. And it's this, to build your life upon it. And so what Paul was saying to Timothy was hold on to the faith and a good conscience as you fight the battle. He's saying there's some that already have been left stranded by not doing so. But then notice in verse 20, the last thing here is Timothy's comrades that erred. In verse 20 of whom, he names specific ones. And, and you know, it's amazing how direct the Bible can be. And he's saying of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander? He uses these two examples of, of those that were familiar to the church, but familiar certainly to Timothy. And these are Timothy's comrades that had erred, and, and examples of these two. And, and really what Paul was doing in naming these men, it was like us telling our children to watch out for certain people. You know, you ever, you ever, um, you ever observe, you ever gone to, the, to school with your children, and you ever observed maybe in the playground, you observe those, those children who just, they're just not doing right. And you tell them, look, son, daughter, I know, I know you're friends with them, but I, it would be very good for you just not to be around them. And that's, that's basically Paul, what Paul was telling Timothy and the church. Paul was marking those who were causing others to stumble. And that was the pattern of Scripture in Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. Then he says, avoid them. He says, just avoid them. Don't, don't get around them. And he names these two. He names Hymenaeus. 
Uh, we see him in 2 Timothy later on. Go, go to 2 Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, sorry, chapter 2. And verses 14 right down to 18. And he says, of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Notice that again, that the idea of shipwreck. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. So he's saying, uh, shun those things that are profane and vain babblings, empty speak. All right, then he says, and, they, and their word will eat as doth a canker, a cancer. Then he says, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus? Ooh, more. Who concerning the truth, notice this, have erred. And here's the error, saying that the resurrection is past already. And overthrow the faith of some. And he's speaking about that, that resurrection on the day of Christ, and he's saying it's past already. That there's no more resurrection to look forward to. And he had erred. And it is this, he was teaching false doctrine. He believed there was no, no longer resurrection of the saints. And he was teaching, and he's warning them, stay away. Avoid it. Then he talks about Alexander in chapter 4. Look at Second Timothy chapter 4. And notice verses 14 and 15, Alexander, and he's, he's noted here just in case there was another Alexander maybe in the church. It says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. And so when the correction came, Alexander did evil. Alexander tried to, to stand against and what he was, he was a rejecter of sound doctrine. And he's saying, mark them. He's naming them for the body's sake. He's naming them for their false doctrine. And, and again, he's speaking here in the local church. And go back to, to 1 Timothy. And again, verse, uh, verse 20, chapter 1, verse 20. So he names them. But then he says this. And here's a warning. Whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So the, the nature of their teaching was blasphemous. It, it, was, uh, it, was, a, it was words against God. And, and he's saying that they may learn not to blaspheme, but notice, Whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn. And, and this delivering to Satan again, was to teach them not to blaspheme. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. What does that mean? And here we, we know, again, in the, there was a situation there was a, uh, in the church of, of Corinth where there was one who was, uh, who was in sin because of fornication. And, and here t uh, Paul is, is trying to teach the church how, how it is that they are to deal with that. And in verse 5, he says this, To deliver such an one, the one called in fornication, unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And Paul had turned them over to God's discipline because of their determination 
to continue to live in a manner contrary to God and contrary to sound doctrine. And this idea of handing over to Satan, it may mean that Satan had permission to inflict some illness or disability to the one being disciplined. We see that in in Job. There was different reasons for Job. For Job, it was to refine him. But again, here we, we note here that they were turned over to Satan. It may be also that that uh, it may also be that one has been put out of fellowship and left to be the to be the, the sphere to be in the sphere of Satan's domain. Okay, the, the world is Satan's domain, so he's been cast aside from the church to be put away in Satan's domain. And again, because of the naming of these men and the explicit nature of their discipline, they must have again been well known in the church as leaders or even teachers. But they were, they were put away. They were, they were turned over for discipline. They were turned over for judgment so that they will learn not to blaspheme. And, and we mustn't, again, however, misunderstand the intention of this action. Uh, it, it wasn't simply intended to, as some would teach it, cut out a cancer in order to preserve the rest of the body. It was this. It was the final step of expulsion from the fellowship back into the hostile world which was ultimately intended as a desperate means, as a last-ditched effort for them to be reclaimed. And you know, sometimes we're, we're, sometimes we're a bit ignorant of God's way to discipline His own. And we mustn't be afraid of it. It was to be to their shame, but really in the end, so that they might be reclaimed through their that negative. And we know we see that in First Corinthians, in Second Corinthians, that brother is restored because he's been put away. He's been restored. He learned his lesson, and that always ought to be our hope that we we when when we note repentance and note that they've changed course that, that we're willing by grace and by God's design to reclaim and restore. See, to be handed over to Satan is to be exposed. To be exposed without the protection God promises to His people. It's to be exposed to the dangers of sin in this world. And for some, it takes being cast off into the sea to realize the advantages on board the ship. And you think about Jonah. And so that's where the, the, the chapter ends. See, this first chapter deals with matters of vital importance to every Christian. In the matter of communicating God's Word, our primary responsibility is to teach sound doctrine that nourishes and feeds for the use of edifying. And we need to avoid speculation and seek to represent God's intention accurately. We need to seek the truth. And we need to seek to, to, to hold on to faith and a good conscience and to war. And whilst we deal with, with times of rejoicing and praise, the reality is this. We mostly fight. We mostly battle. But we must do it in the power that God has given us. We must do it knowing that we have been called to it. 
And we must do it knowing that there can be those who've made shipwreck. That, that we must fight and we must war a good warfare, even as Timothy was called. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you and thank you. Lord, for the, the great times of, of rejoicing, we, we, we can even think about it, perhaps even our own lives where you've transformed us. Lord, where you've, we've had times being with you on the mountaintop. And you know, Lord, the, the very real thing is this, we must face negativities. We must face those times of, of battling, of holding on, clinging to those things that are good, that are right, in a world that's very much in opposition to put away concerning the faith and our shipwreck. And Father, we can even, Lord, as we observe, even have those uh, in, even within the body at times who, Lord, are subverters of the truth, who have become real opponents to sound doctrine, and we must, Lord, encourage, follow your plan. And Lord, not just to preserve, but Lord, in, in hopes of restoring those. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us in our daily lives to just follow after you, to, to study, to show ourselves approved unto you, to be workmen that need not to be shamed. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as we head into the week, we, we entrust it to you. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need your, your presence. Lord, we need your word. We need your name to be lifted up. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as you, as you challenge us. Use our speakers this week. Use the, the word of God to, to, to minister to our hearts, to challenge us. And then I pray that we would just follow you and, and be willing to obey you in the things that you give us, Lord. And I do pray that you just would be honored and glorified. And bless each one as we head to our respective places tonight. In Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name.